the actor online, it's Geek Top 5! Yay! I'm Jesse. I'm Graham. And there are five cool things going on right now, and we're here to tell you all about them. No need to hesitate, let's get right into number five, uh, which stands to be the groundwork for my favorite type of reporting ever. <laughs> I guess the world's first international robot duel. Is, uh, it, it's, I guess it's already happened, but Let's it's be clear. Up. Let's be clear. Not just any sort of robot here. This is giant robot. Giant robot duel. Important distinction. <laughs> we've seen battle bots. We've seen drones. Yeah. These are giant robots. And they're going to be fighting for honor, for glory, and for the entertainment of everybody. Because who doesn't like giant robots? <laughs> the interesting thing is it's, it's going to be broadcast on Twitch. Which, uh, I mean, Twitch is, is best known as a platform for streaming people playing video games. So this is a big step at least in my mind, into a whole new field for them. Yeah, it's, 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 you don't think of them as the first place to go when you think of sports coverage, but then you don't think of sports coverage involving giant robots either. Well, I mean, uh, hey, they broadcast uh, spelling bees on ESPN. You'd think they would want to get in on giant robots. I, man, don't get me started on all ESPN. Right, they have right. darts, for God's <laughs> sake. I mean, darts is fun, but anyway, neither here nor there. Let's break down exactly what's happening. This is, um, I guess this is coming at the behest of an American startup company called Megabots, Inc. Uh, these guys are Matt Orline, Brinkley Warren, and Guy Cavalcanti. They started this company specifically for this purpose. They want to form an international giant robot fighting league. And they've challenged a team of engineers from Japan. These guys are Suidobashi Heavy Industry. Um, in 2012... The Suidobashi, it's really just two guys. It's an artist and a roboticist. Uh, Kogoro Kurata and Wataru Yoshizaki, they made a little robot purely because of how much they like robots from anime. Right. Which, to be fair, I mean, there's a reason we all associate giant robots with anime. That's sort of where it became big. It was like, you know, the Mazinger Z, the Tetsujin, I think that's 1950. Okay. Um, hold on. The Tetsujin, 1956. I did a little research on this just to figure it out. That is pretty much where it got big. Important, super geek note to make. That one of the earliest things for giant robots, maybe the tripods in War of the Worlds. Hmm. That was uh, 1897. So Well, that would take the, uh, the yeah, ring there. That, so this is a historical precedent for this. Um, but we get right into the weeds. So these Suidobashi guides built this robot. And then Megabots is building a bigger robot. And they challenged Suidobashi to build their bigger robot... And they're going to have them fight and see who can do it better. Yeah, I think this has been in the works for about two years. Uh, do, you, do you want to go over the specs of the robots? <laughs> yeah, sure. What have I got here? We've got, so, Suidobashi's Kiratus, and this is their big Kiratus, the one they've built for this. It's 13 feet tall, and it's weighing somewhere, like, reports seem to differ. It's somewhere from, like, 4 to 13 tons? No, no, 4 to 6.5 tons for the Japanese one. Okay. And how much did you have for the American one, Eagle Prime? For Eagle Prime, I don't think I even had a weight listed for it. Okay. I know it's the taller one. It's 16 feet tall. Yeah, and I saw 12 tons for that one. Jeez. So they're, they're both costing well over a million dollars to make. Um, Curatus is equipped with, among other things, two 6,000 rounds per minute Gatling guns. Uh, whereas Eagle Prime seems to revolve more around melee combat. He's got a chainsaw and a giant screw, which I assume they sort of meant drill. I guess so. One of the things I had read is that they were trying to focus more on bashing implements as opposed to cutting implements. But, I mean, if they've got a screw yeah. or a drill... And a chainsaw. And a chainsaw. 
It's going to be very interesting. And they said that after it airs on on Twitch, you'll be able to see it on other streaming services like YouTube and Facebook video and things like that. Oh, for sure. Um, Megabots, the company, they've had a YouTube series going where they talked about building this thing. And it kind of goes into like the design and how it works and in general. It's actually really fascinating if you want to check it out. Um, but they had this fight. Um, it's not live, by the way. Uh, because there's multiple rounds and these things have to be repaired in rounds, it was sort of filmed in stages. So we're going to see it for the first time all cut together. Yeah, my understanding is it was actually done over a course of days. Yeah, I believe it. In an abandoned steel mill in Japan. Which is so cool. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's streaming on this Tuesday on October 17th at 7 Pacific, 10 Eastern. And it's one of those things, like... Science fiction, it's always love giant robots. Obviously. Yeah. That's one of the, the things we want to do most with science is robots. And making them giant just makes them more cool. <laughs> Which is why we have, you know, I mentioned those animes earlier, but we also have like the Zords from the Power Rangers, and you have your Mech Warrior Battletech stuff, you have your Pacific Rim. Yeah. Giant robots are awesome. I can't imagine there's anyone listening to this show who doesn't think that's cool. <laughs> and now it's happening in real life, and I'm looking forward to a world. Where I can keep saying, okay, in today's news, this awesome giant robot fought this awesome giant robot. I love that. We need to uh, we need to make sure all of us watch it so the numbers are good. So that it justifies uh, other countries going out and building their own giant robots to add to this fray. God, can you imagine the Canadian one? <laughs> oh, the boy. big axe or something like a lumberjack axe? Well, it's a hockey uh, stick, hockey right? stick right? Sure. but it's made out of some like, titanium... <laughs> like. Oh my god! Body checking the other uh, the other robots. Listen, it's bound to be cool anyway. But even if you're not that into it, do us a favor and check this out. Again, this is Tuesday, October seventeenth on Twitch. Look for Megabots; they'll be the ones doing it. This is going. It has the potential to do so much cool stuff, and they need to know that the audience is out there. Please go take a look. Number four on the list. Speaking of giant robots, yeah. Well, so this is this is your right in your wheelhouse. This is like your favorite uh, yeah, sci-fi my, franchise. This is right? my favorite sci-fi franchise ever. This is BattleTech. We've talked about it a couple times on the show. It's Star Wars meets Game of Thrones with giant robots, which up until very recently were fictional. <laughs> so you understand why I'm in such a good mood for this recording. <laughs> um, no, so we've got we're getting a new BattleTech game uh, by the creator by Jordan Wiseman and Hairbrain Schemes. We've talked about it on the show. It's a strategy game. Uh, thanks to the generosity of my co-host Graham and some friends, I'm in the closed beta. It's great. But a lot of our memories, all of us who played these games growing up, played the Mech Warrior franchise, uh, which wrapped up with the latest expansion to Mech Warrior Four in 2002. It's been a while. It's been a while. The end of last year, we saw a trailer for MechWarrior 5. And we haven't heard anything about it since then, but PC Gamer recently ran an article where they sent one of their guys, uh, Stephen Mesner, over to Piranha Games in Vancouver. It's being made in Canada. (laughs) Over to Vancouver to check out this game. And everything he's saying sounds amazing, which is an interesting caveat that I want to add right now. This game is light years away from release, and they can promise the sun and the moon right. and the stars, and we've seen that before. So obviously it's super important not to get so excited! Um, so Mech Warrior 5, they're focusing on the mercenary side of it, which is always the most popular part of this for the video games, because like your Game of Thrones, the factions in Battletech are great houses, or you know, spinning families, and each one has their own like cultural theme and their own thing that they do and their own goals, and limiting it to one perspective means you only have one perspective. But in that fiction, 
There's all these mercenary armies, the soldiers for hire, who can bounce from side to side and find their loyalties tugged against, you know, are they loyal to the state or are they loyal to the almighty dollar, that sort of thing. Playing that in the game means you get to try out all the different houses and see all this, the, the cool stuff they're doing. Which means at one point you're going to be working for the like you know, neo-medieval like Japan-themed house. At another time you're going to be going for the ancient Greece-themed house. Like, exploring all those, cool cult- all those cool cultures, there's a tongue twister, but doing it from the cockpit of a giant robot, which is rad. Now, I feel like in the previous Mercenary games, you didn't, I mean, you got these missions and stuff, but you didn't really get a sense for the different cultures or anything. It was just sort of like the people hiring you, and there was a greater storyline going on, and you didn't get really to taste everything. But this one sounds like you're going to be much more involved in the history of the Inner Sphere than in, in the previous versions. Yeah, the, I mean, the most popular like timeline of this covers about 100 years. So several generations, and that universe changes over that course of time. New factions appear or disappear, new technologies are introduced, and the developer of the game in this interview has been talking about how managing your mercenary like outfit is going to go through these changes. And so the whole time you're going to be maintaining and hiring staff and fighting robots, but then maybe who this person who looked like a good guy, now they're a bad guy, for, or to your perspective, because you're a mercenary, maybe you like the bad guy, I don't know. <laughs> Steiner. Maybe the, the bad guys pay better. Maybe the bad guys pay better. They, they often do. They do. Well, that's... But they're going to be going through all these changes, and then depending what you do, like getting... Like, how do you explain this? So it's like, like if you're working for the Draconis Combine, the Japan-themed one, you're going to have access to the, like the stuff that they have access to, the technologies that they develop, the mechs, the robots that they develop. They, they've got a couple of really fun Japan-themed battle mechs. The Hatamoto Chi. It's got the samurai helmet and stuff. Right. <laughs> I feel like in previous games, though, that wasn't as pronounced. Like, no, not get, at all. You would yeah. just buy whatever was available. And you could customize the mechs at will, you know? You could throw anything onto them. Yeah, yeah. Mech Lab was a big part of that. But in the fiction of Battletech, customizable mechs don't really show up until like the latter half of that time period I'm talking about. And still, not all of them can do that. That's a cool thing. So if you buy this mech, it's got you know an autocannon in one arm, a couple of lasers in the other arm, and a missile launcher in the chest. That's what you have to work with. And if you like that one, maybe you have to go find the nation that sells that one, which changes right. your decisions about what you're going to do. It, it sounds like this game is being made for the people who liked MechWarrior on PC and the people who read the, the franchise fiction paperbacks. Right. Which means me. <laughs> it's being made just for you. Pretty much exclusively. <laughs> um, he commented, quote, This isn't going to be some watered-down mech assault made partially for consoles, throwing a little shade at the Xbox action-y game. Which, it, uh, what was that one again? Titan? Mech Assault. Mech Assault, okay. Yeah, but, the, I mean, is, is, is Titanfall also the big uh, mech game for Xbox? It is, but it's not the Battletech franchise. Right, right. He's saying, this isn't going to be some watered-down mech assault made partially for consoles. It's going to be the same kind of action simulator that people have been wanting for 15 years. Which raises a couple questions, because the reason why we don't have those action simulators nowadays is because they don't tend to sell very well. And again, it raises the question of how is he going to sell it you can talk a big talk, but, you know, like No Man's Sky, remember when they were talking a big talk about that and the game came out, it wasn't what was promised. It's getting there now, though. Getting there now, though, so it's hard to say. I, I mean, but I will say that in his favor is he's already got MechWarrior Online 
running, right? So he's right. he knows there's an audience there. He's making money off of that audience, and that money is being used to make these games. With something like No Man's Sky, they had a limited budget to work with to get that game out, and when they had to get it out, they had to get it out, whether it was finished or not. With this, because MechWarrior Online is there, they can take their time with this and get it done in, in a way that's saleable as soon as it's when it's ready. It's absolutely. It sounds like they have the groundwork in place. Basically, all I want to say is that, like all this news sounds good, but I want to caution everyone that it's still just talk. But just before we move on, I also just want to say, like, of all the stuff that we posted on our site in the last couple of weeks, this one got a ton of attention, and I just want to thank you all because. <laughs> I thought I was the only one who remembers this franchise, <laughs> you know, and the fact that so many people were looking, interacting with that link and looking, reading the article and stuff, I'm, I'm so glad to hear you're as excited as I am. Well, uh, since we're on that topic, I know it's a big dream of yours to get a proper a digital or Blu-ray release of the Battletech... Uh, oh, the Somerset Strikers cartoon. Yeah, the cartoon. Yeah, so, the I mean, 13 episodes of Battletech cartoon. Maybe our listeners can help make that happen. Oh, yeah, if anybody has any connections to Ray-Ban or whatever they were... No, those are the sunglasses, guys. <laughs> with, with, with the, the spinning uh, Saban? Bowl, Saban, maybe. <laughs> if only. We gotta move on. Um, number three, speaking of video games, last weekend we saw the public beta for Star Wars Battlefront 2 on the big multiplayer test to make sure it works, but also kind of a marketing thing to get everybody to try out the cool new Star Wars game that's coming out in November. So you took a it, spin with it? I took a spin at it. Um, you know, I wasn't terribly impressed. Um, I'm certainly not going to buy it right at launch. Um, it's, not the, it's a very online-focused game, and that's not the kind of game I'm into that much. I also didn't like it as much as I thought it would. I thought and they were part of the the appeal of this was, uh, as opposed to the first one in this series, they were going to be adding a lot more single player stuff. They are, but none of that was available in the beta. Hmm. I mean, and to be fair, the per like the big point of the beta is to make sure that their servers can support people like you know hundreds of people playing it at the same time. Right. Remember, when everyone's playing these games and these shared maps, they're all running on you know the same computer somewhere. So it's sort of, think of it as like a stress test for yeah. the software. So I get it. that It's not a demo. It's a beta. Maybe the single-player stuff might change my mind. I'm not going to buy it right away. The interesting thing that came out of this, though, is that besides the kind of mixed reviews of betas getting, it's not just me. Um, some people really liked it. Some people really didn't. There's a big outrage about the way the star cards in this game, is, this game works, which ties into this thing we're seeing lately in video games, which people are just they're lumping it under the term loot crates. Yeah, which yeah. is a little confusing because there's a whole company called Loot Crate. Yeah, which is not what this is. No. But what this is is a trend we're seeing. Mobile gamers are going to be very familiar with this, but we're seeing it in big production, like AAA console games too, where a big part of playing your game is to get stuff. And to get that stuff, you can earn like an in-game currency and then spend it essentially on a slot machine. And you always get something, but you yeah. really want the good stuff. I mean, that's the argument against the slot machine analogy, because most of the time when you pull that slot machine, you don't get anything. Right. With this, this, you're guaranteed to get something. something. It's just the vast majority of the time you're getting something useless that you don't need. An example I can think of, like Blizzard tends to do this really well. They're, they Overwatch, Warcraft, Heroes of the Storm, but people are really into their characters, and a lot of the things they do in their loot crates are character skins mm -hmm. uh, to make the character look different. It's like, like, it doesn't change the game at all, but some people might really want the character, like, the skin of their character makes them look funny. Um, in Heroes of the Storm, I play as a character called Asmodan. He's an evil demon. 
but one of his attacks is him lobbing a fireball that looks like a basketball. Mm. So they added a skin, the Asmodunk skin, that dresses him up in a jersey, and the fireball is now actually a basketball, and all his voice lines are like, I think it's hilarious. Yeah. I really wanted that skin. Right. So you can buy these loot crates, and you have a chance of getting a really rare skin like that, or maybe just like a little bit of a refund of in-game currency, or like a different line of dialogue your character could say, useless stuff. So with, with Heroes of the Storm, it's all borderline useless stuff. Pretty much. It's cosmetic. In Battlefront 2 and some other games recently, Destiny 2, um, Shadows of War, which is basically Shadow of Mordor 2, it's useful stuff. It's stuff that affects the gameplay. And specifically in a game like Battlefront 2 that's competitive, that it's player versus player, you get these loot crates and you get stuff that makes your character stronger, which even then would be okay, but you, know, you have to work through the game to earn the in-game currency to buy these loot crates. Or... For a low, low purchase of nine ninety nine, <laughs> you can get extra crates. Yeah. So in theory, somebody with you know, like with money to burn, can buy like a hundred bucks worth of these things, get the strongest lasers and the most powerful targeting computers or whatever, and dominate the game. And no matter how skilled you might be at the game, it's giving this other player a huge advantage, essentially because they're wealthier than you are. Now, my question is, why has this become a big deal all of a sudden? With it's, with Mass Effect 3, they had these loot crates. With Mass Effect Andromeda, they had loot crates. And as you sort of alluded to, with mobile games, they've had them for ages. And even in the sports games, like the NHL and NBA and, and oh, NFL sports games. Sports games are shameless about yeah. it. Um, two things. The first important thing to note is, again, the difference between just getting fun stuff Cosmetic stuff, sound stuff. Okay, but so just um, for for Mass Effect, uh, I'm jumping okay. into that. All right, all right. The first one is that cosmetic stuff. Nobody really cares what cool skin your character has. Yeah. Uh, you know, Heroes of the Storm. I really want like the Tron looking tank for Sergeant Hammer. I don't have it. I haven't won it yet. It's not a big deal. Um, when you make the the things that that affect the gameplay. That's a little different. Now, that's what's happening in Mass Effect, but Mass Effect is player versus enemy. It's humans versus the computer. Yes, but you're also competing for, like, who, where you're going to place on the board at the end. It's not a big deal, but it is there. It's not a big deal, but, like, you know, if somebody on your team is the kind of guy who's spending millions of dollars on, like, the best gun, like, to win the best guns and win the best armor, and he helps you win a really difficult mission, yeah, yeah. like, shake your fist at that guy, but whatever. In no, this I mean, case, you're probably going to thank that guy. Yeah. <laughs> In this case, like I would be playing the, the fighter mode in Battlefront 2, and I had some cool dogfights, X-Wing versus TIE Fighter, oh, he got me. Some other times, it'd be like, I'd turn to face a player, and I'd get annihilated. And I'd say, what the hell was that? It would come up, you got killed by, you know, X-Space Jockey 9265, and his TIE Fighter, and then it would show all the awesome power-ups he used. The advanced blasters, mm -hmm. and the rapid fire and the instant-locking missiles. And it's like, well, he didn't beat me. Right. He just bought those cards... And then pressed a button, and it has basically vaporized me instantly. So, so that's they, not fun. They even had, like, the buying the crates in the beta? Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. Uh, to be fair, uh, let me specify, I didn't go to see if I could buy them in the beta. They had crates available to show you how the system worked, and people were using the cards. I didn't investigate whether you could spend real money in the beta. Okay. You will be able to in the final version of the game. Right. So... <laughs> you know, at that point, what's the point of playing the game? I guess so. I mean, I, yes, there's definitely an angle to it. I mean, I, I stopped really playing a lot of online games just because, 
even without these power ups, I was getting killed so fast by people that it, it I it lost the sense of fun for me. Right, but uh, in but now, theory, if you had the time to spend to play that game, to learn how it works, to get good, you would have been able to compete in that level. The interesting thing, though, is at this age now, I don't have the time to get good at it, but I arguably do have the money to buy <laughs> my way into being good at it. <laughs> but is that rewarding at the end of the day? I don't know. It would be for a little bit. It might be for a little bit. <laughs> it would feel pretty good. Put it this way. like We've been spending a lot of the time on this on our personal complaints, but who it is rewarding for are the video game companies. Yes. Because these loot crate things sell. Companies are making a buttload of money on these microtransactions, and something about the loot crate, the way there's always a little reward and... A chance for a big reward, it's addictive to people. It's the same way they design the lights and the sounds of a casino to prey on the weakness of gamblers. This is designed to prey on the people who like, who want that sense of, oh, cool, look what I got. Yeah. We could go into this in a lot more detail, but we're low on time and we have to move on. The, sh- the short, short note is that it's getting very expensive for- to make video games. It costs more to make video games these days than it costs to make movies. On the other hand, it costs more to buy a video game than it does to buy a movie or, or see a movie. Right, but it- apparently it's just unsustainable. And they're trying to find new ways to make money, and this is it. At Geek Top 5, we got to say vote with your wallet. If you don't like this idea, don't buy those loot crates. Maybe consider don't buying those games, because that is a worrying precedent. I feel like we could talk about the Battlefront stuff for even longer if we talk about how great the advertising campaign is, especially when compared to how disappointing both of these games have ultimately been for us. Oh, sure. The the other story about, like, it looks like the game is going to be a blast to play, but this thing has people worked up. Right. (sighs) Moving on to number two. Um, Video games may be more expensive than movies, but movies are still cool. And uh, the next cool movie is coming out. It is not what I expected. Or at least the movie is, but how the movie... Help, help me out here. <laughs> Tell me what is going on with this New Mutants trailer. Okay, so so a little bit of background. The New Mutants were the... I believe they were the first X-Men spin-off comic. It was something that the creators fought for a while doing spin-offs of the X-Men. The, the writers really wanted to just focus in on the main characters in the one main book. And they kept getting pressure from above because the book was selling so well that they ended up feeling like they had to release a, a, a spin-off. Right. So New Mutants was a spin-off. It was basically like X-Men the Next Generation. You know, Professor Xavier's old X-Men have graduated. They're a full-fledged superhero team that don't really need them anymore. So he's got these these new group of mutants that he's going to train at the school and make them the next generation. Right. So that sounds like an exciting like teen drama, fun for the whole family kind of thing, right? Yeah. And that's what this movie is going to be, right? Apparently not. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me about it. So, I mean, we watched the trailer, and uh, I, if, if at the end of it, instead of saying New Mutants, it had said Blair Witch, I, I wouldn't have felt like... I, no. It would have yeah. been the exact same trailer. You Absolutely. Know? It would have been entirely appropriate. It is so horror-based, almost to a parody level, like there's people with scary masks, there's a scary toddler, there's yeah, like... The face coming scares. out of the wall. Yeah. Like a lot of really classic horror stuff. And yet, it also features Sunspot and Cannonball and Mirage, although they aren't get, you don't hear them use those names, at least not in this trailer. But, but uh, they do use the term mutants, yeah. they do see the Marvel role, it's definitely these characters, it's these young, soon-to-be X-Men, but in a haunted house... Like, or a haunted, a haunted hospital, hospital or something? Yeah, yeah like they got the, sort of the Nurse Ratchet figure. Except, okay, so... 
don't we d- dive right into this? This movie has a... There's already some complaints online about uh, the whitewashing of the cast. Yeah. So the characters um, in the comic book took the, the, their uh, cue from the success of the giant size X-Men where they, they rebooted the X-Men and made it a very diverse team. This team had an Irish girl, a southern guy, a Brazilian boy, a Native American uh, woman, and a Vietnamese girl. And they all worked together. The, looking at the main cast of this movie, you would not see a lot of that diversity. It's pretty American suburb. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's there's a Brazilian guy, but the he's a much lighter skin than the character in the comic book. There's a Native girl playing the, the Native character, except she's only a quarter Native, the actress, so there's that. But to me, the biggest one is Cecilia Reyes, who is the, the woman who runs this hospital, seemingly, in the Evil trailer. Nurse lady. She's a relatively new creation. She was made in the late 90s in the comics, and she is a black woman from the Bronx. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, that's not who they cast. Yeah. She's of Puerto Rican heritage, but she's got dreadlocks. She's she's definitely supposed to be a, a black woman. And uh, I'm finding a lot of articles online talking about the Sunspot casting, the Brazilian uh, man, the Brazilian boy in it, but not a lot of people seem to be pegging on this, and this one seems a bit more egregious to me. Well, to be fair, I mean, she's not one of the new mutants. No. Is she? Like- she was a character who was introduced in the late 90s as, like, a new batch of mutants who joined the team, and she was always interesting because she didn't want to be a superhero. She's a doctor, and she just happens to she's be a, a mutant, and she's got, like... like- because she seems to be the antagonist yeah. in this movie. Like she's, Which is- It seems like she's locked them up in this haunted Silent Hill treatment ward. Yeah, which is not what the character in the comics is like at all. Yeah. So it's the, uh, some differences for that character right from the get-go. Like, pretty distinct differences from how she was portrayed in the comic books. Which I I never understand why they do that. It always bugs me. It seems to be more of a problem with these Fox movies than with the main Marvel movies. But I, it's hard to judge too harshly just based on a trailer. Yeah, especially for a horror movie where who knows... I mean, especially with a horror movie involving mutants, at least one of which, her power is hallucinations. Right. So who knows what's really going on. Yeah, that's Danny Moonstar, Mirage. She's got a cool character arc. She starts off sort of like a tentative character in the comics, very fearful of using her powers, and these days she's actually a Valkyrie. Oh, well, I mean, hey, it's it's good career aspirations. (laughs) Uh, no, the movie looks like almost like you said, like by a, almost two by the numbers in terms of a horror movie. But then again, I'm thinking like Marvel, they keep making superhero movies in different genres. Well, specifically like, the Fox ones, right? Like like Deadpool, to my mind, is the comedy of with a superhero uh, bent to it. And yeah. I guess the lesson they took from that was, well, let's take this other X Men spinoff and make it a whole other genre. So we did comedy. Let's do a straight up horror movie yeah. that just happens to have the X Men in we've it. Had comedy movies. We've had war movies. We've had thriller movies. Let's make a horror movie. Yeah. And you know, who better to put in a horror movie than teenagers? Because well, for a lot Very of true. obvious reasons. Um, I'm gonna go see it because that, like, what a crazy idea. Yeah. But I just still can't figure out, like, is this gonna be part of a bigger shared universe? And if so, how? Like, well, hey, I mean, they're adding, like, you'd imagine it would be hard for Deadpool to interact with more straightforward X-Men characters, and he's supposed to be a member of X-Force, which is, you know, the military, militaristic version of the X-Men that's coming out in a, a little bit, so... Who knows? They'll make it work, I'm sure. Or try, anyway. Either way, I'm going to see it. If you haven't seen this trailer yet, check it out. Um, Unless it's night, because it's spooky. (laughs) Number one on our list. 
And we've done this deliberately because it is the coolest thing and because we really need to limit ourselves in the amount of time we spend talking about it. And it's also the last thing for that, the news. Right. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's The Last Jedi The trailer. Last Jedi trailer came out. Um, marred by some extremely minor, almost certainly deliberately planned controversy where Ryan Johnson warned people on Twitter that if you want to go into the movie clean, don't watch this trailer because it's got some spoilers. And then he came out and said, no, I never said that. <laughs> you should totally watch the trailer. Um, I didn't think it was that spoilery, but we're going to... Well, how can we know for sure until we see the movie, right? Right. I'm, but we're going to talk about it. So if you're one of those people who wants to go in clean, you just start skipping ahead right now. Yeah. So what do we see in the last Jedi trailer? Um, we see first of all, I have to say it is a beautiful looking trailer, and it looks like no other Star Wars movie I've seen. I feel true. Yeah, very distinct look, very different kind of movie. Yeah, from, you know, there's like which is I mean, it just in terms of the cinematography and and the sense of dread in the yeah and the like, color palette chosen. I, I I don't have the proper words to describe why it's so different. It just feels different. It's more. It looks more like fine art as opposed to, you know, yeah, pop culture. You assume Star Wars movie, you still kind of think kids movie as opposed to like a really meaningful movie. This trailer, I mean, it was very action-packed, but it seemed like it would had more of an artistic focus than a sell toys focus. Right. Which, let's remember, that's the point of Star Wars, <laughs> is to sell toys. Um, we see all our favorite characters are back. Um, Captain Phasma is also back. Hey-oh. <laughs> Um, they're all doing their stuff. Let's uh, again. You can go watch this trailer if you haven't already seen it. Which why are you listening to this podcast? <laughs> but the big points we see. I mean, first, Luke Skywalker can talk. Great, always nice to hear. It was a little worried after Force Awakens. <laughs> he seems to be rejecting teaching Ray in a very like early Empire Yoda Luke like I can't train him. He's too old kind of deal. Uh, we see Kylo Ren still around, still doing his I'm torn between light and dark thing. And uh, very much threatening to blow Leia up, seemingly. Yeah, cut in a way that looks like he's in his, his you see his cool new TIE fighter, the TIE silencer. I like it. I like it a lot. Um, but it seems like he's shooting directly at like the command ship that Leia is on. And so there's some mother-son yeah. stuff there. Kill Spoilers. Kill the father. Kill the, yeah. now kill the mother in this one. We'll see. Um... We see Snoke torturing Rey, so... And then the... I mean, again, the, the game-changer, parentheses, question mark, close parentheses, <laughs> Rey saying, I need someone to show me my place in all of this, and then cutting to Kylo Ren holding out his hand. The implication that, having been rejected by Luke, she's going to dark Kylo for that whole, I, you know, need a teacher business. My thought, well, there, there's a, a shot where you see uh, Snoke sort of torturing Rey, and maybe maybe something happens where Kylo at least seemingly rejects Snoke and saves her, and they seem to be out on their own, just the two of them, and maybe that's why he's trying to... Maybe. maybe that's and why those maybes are what's huge. Like, yeah. It's hard to tell, again, because it's a cut. They're not on the screen together. Yeah. It's hard to tell. Are they in the same place? Both backgrounds are dark. Kylo seems to be somewhere else, but it's hard to say. Also important to remember that the Force Awakens trailer was very intentionally misleading. Okay. Between the trailer and the marketing, remember, they were setting Finn up to be the Jedi. We mm. saw a lot of Finn with the lightsaber, and, a lot of, and they turned that all around when the movie came out. I so have to we, take your word for it because I didn't watch the trailer for The Force Awakens. I mean, you saw the marketing. It was like all the everyone had their face and they were holding a weapon. Right, Han with the blaster. It was Finn with the lightsaber. All right, 
So, like, they, they, they had shots in that trailer that weren't in the movie. Like, they were shot just for the, the initial reveal of Force Awakens. Like, the teaser, we saw that shot of Kylo Ren walking through the snowy woods, and then he ignites his lightsaber, and we see the cross guard for right. the first time. That wasn't in the movie. Right. So everything in this trailer could be butkus. <laughs> but is that, like, do we, are we seeing a change of roles from dark to light or light to dark? There's a, there, it's intentionally set up so that fanatics like us will have all these questions. There's one where Luke is he's shouting like this won't end the way you think, but when he's shouting it like he's in the rain uh, and the Ray's Force vision of from Force Awakens was in the rain, and there's already been some question was that like a vision of the past of the destruction of his Jedi Temple or was that a vision of the future? So then if Luke is saying that in the rain, who is he saying that to? And was he saying that back during the fall of the temple? Or is he saying it now, like, to someone who, to Kylo Ren or somebody who's found them right. on his isolated island? All these questions, just to get us excited, it worked. And it yeah, worked. yeah, it sounds like it worked. <laughs> also, great soundtrack. Sure, sure. Uh, yeah, well, well, I'm sure we'll go see it uh when is it coming December, out again? It's, it's December 15th, the Friday. There are places all over, like, doing the Thursday night opening on the 14th. I've got my tickets for the evening of the 15th. Uh, and we will certainly bring you what we see then. I mean, like, you weren't going to go see Star Wars right. anyway. But if you haven't seen the trailer and you've listened to this, no, it's, whatever spoilers are in there are spoiled anyway, so you should go look. It's super cool. And I just love being in a time when Star Wars is cool again. Very nice. So that's the news, and uh, we'll be right back with our special, special guest segment. We really enjoyed this one, and hope you will too. Uh, so please stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome to the second half of this episode of Geek Top 5. This week, we're joined by... Jim Zub. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. You guys trapped me for another one. <laughs> no, it's good. It's good. Yeah. You're, you're officially a friend of the show now. That, oh, is that how that fun. works? Yeah. Anyway, so before we get into it, I just want to talk about some of your, your current credentials. Like, we're going to be going a little Adventures. Little Avengers My CV? Yeah. Is this an interview? A little bit. Just a all quick right. one. Qu- quick hits before we get into the Avengers of it all. How's Glitter Bomb going? It's doing very well. So Glitter Bomb the Fame Game is our second miniseries uh, from Image, and that's currently underway this fall. Uh, I also have another series at Image called Wayward. Uh, both those are creator-owned, and they're both uh, rumbling along and doing really well. Wayward's uh, issue 20 by the time, I don't know when this will hit, but... Not this Sunday, the next one. All right. So issue 24 is coming out soon, very soon. Uh, And so that's the fifth story arc. And then we're plugging away for the sixth story arc going to be in 2018. So we are, yeah, and in the current industry, having a a creator-owned series with five-plus arcs, we're very, very proud of it. Uh, Glitter Bomb's doing well in the second miniseries. And then uh, just, you know, doing some other stuff. Yeah, a little thing. Just things. a little thing uh, <laughs> over uh, this uh, struggling entertainment company called uh, Marvel Comics. <laughs> yeah, I heard they just got bought out, right? Yeah, By yeah. some other poor, uh, yeah, poor right. guys. Poor like... Marvel Comics. No, <laughs> things are going really well, actually. Uh, so I'm wrapping up my run on the Uncanny Avengers uh, and leading into 2018. There's a huge uh, Avengers uh, event, if you want to call it that, but it's not the kind of typical event where you have tie-in issues and prequel, you know, kind of things. There's just one ongoing weekly Avengers series. The creative teams of uh, the U.S. Avengers, uh, the Uncanny Avengers, and the flagship Avengers title are all 
teamed up for a 16-part story called No Surrender uh, that is just going to be the the biggest, craziest thing I've ever worked on. Well, it is the biggest, cra- <laughs> not it's going to be. It is currently the craziest thing I've ever worked on. We're deep, deep into it. It just got announced recently, but I've been working on it for quite a while. And, uh, yeah, that's going to be the big marketing blitz of the new year as they, you know, beat the drum before the Avengers Infinity War movie. So what's what's the elevator pitch for this thing, this big storyline? Well, this is what's tough, is that they haven't revealed very much. Uh, it's weekly. There's tons of characters. Uh, the world has been threatened. I believe, yeah, Tom Brevoort, the Avengers editor, has said the Earth has been stolen. Yes. At the start of the story. And uh, only Earth's Mightiest Heroes can uh, save them and they're going to be fighting against uh the black uh the black order almost said the black legion (laughs) (laughs) they'll be fighting against the black order which is thanos's uh sort of team of toughs and uh a new version of the lethal legion which i I mean it seems like there's a new lethal legion all the time they're like this is the forever now the the (laughs) name is cool and we are hunkering down on it and making the best lethal legion but we can't learn any more than that. We don't know who's in it. Well, no. you know. Well, yeah, I sure hope so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've got over 20 Avengers characters we're keeping track of. So we've got, uh, you know, bulletin boards with the strings and the photos and all the nightmarish kind of conspiracy theory stuff. That's what my office looks like at home. No, it's good. It's been really wonderful. Honestly, I, I get to work with um, just a, a murderer's row of talent. Honestly, it's uh, Pepe Larraz. Uh, Paco Medina and Kim Jacinto are drawing uh, the the series as it goes weekly. Um, phenomenal, phenomenal work across the board. Mark Brooks is our regular cover artist for all 16 issues. Uh, and then we've got, uh, on the writing front, I'm teamed up with uh, Mark Wade and Al Ewing, and they are just phenomenal. They're just wonderful idea people. And then our editorial team of Tom Bravort and uh, Alana Smith, and they are doing the hard, hard work of keeping us on schedule and <laughs> Pulling reference material from deep archives of, of Avengers history. It's been wonderful. That sounds like Graham's dream job. I, as somebody who goes up to Graham. <laughs> Graham, has Thor ever fought this character? I'll be back in an hour. <laughs> That's what's so scary is that we did a writing summit with all, with the uh, with Al and Mark. And we're sitting there in the boardroom at Marvel. And no matter what we said... Both Tom and Mark knew the answer to it and could usually reference the issue. Ooh. In some cases, it got so dark that uh, at one point, Mark referenced an obscure storyline. And then Tom could tell you who the artist, the writer, and the inker were. And I was just like, <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> were they like trying to one-up each other? Oh, oh it was total egos. just But in a fun way. Like Everyone was being really playful with it. But yeah, these guys know everything. I mean, they're just walking, talking archives of the Marvel Universe, so... So I'm curious, you you and Mark and, and uh, Al have yeah. sort of very distinct styles. What do you each bring to the table from a writing perspective? Sure. Here? Mine, just desperation. Oh, no, okay. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. No, it's good. I mean, Mark is obviously uh, the most experienced out of the three of us, so he's got the deepest archive. He's already, he did a weekly. He was one of the writers on 52 at DC. Right, that's where they did it for the whole year, like right. one issue a, a week. Well, 16 is pretty good, too. Yeah, so, well, yeah. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Anyways, uh, no, Mark's uh, did a, uh, you know, he's got a deep, deep well of knowledge, and his superhero knowledge is top-notch. He is just phenomenal at kind of taking the old and bringing it up to date, really bringing something new to the table with it. And um, he he's so experienced, like nothing phases him. Like no matter how crazy the story got or how wild the gulps between plot points, we were like, how are we going to get to here? We know where we want this to go, but how do we get there? 
he always was, uh, you know, steady and sure and had the answer. It was really amazing. Uh, Al just does wonderful emotional storytelling. He's also an idea machine. Yeah, he, he seems kind of to have freaks me out. How crazy ideas! Yeah, big, huge, cosmic, crazy ideas, and they're just relentlessly coming out of him constantly. Like you know, he's just throwing ideas into the mix, and his little one-off. Oh, we could do this. I'm like, my God, that's like an entire event by itself, and he's just throwing it out there, like, oh, you know, what? How about that? You know, and, but with a wonderful British accent, and. Uh, <laughs> And then I'm, uh, I, I, I really like the character stuff. I really want to bring something emotional to the table and have, you know, that people walk away not just with epic events, but that they, that they feel something for these characters. So we were trying to both, you know, all three of us, we're trying to bring, what I can say is we have certain focal point characters. Yes, there's over 20 characters, heroes that are in this story, but there are, and I don't give an exact number, six or seven characters that are real focal point ones. We get into their heads a little bit more. They have some internal, you know, narration. We get to see things as they're rolling out from their point of view and their reactions to some of the biggest uh, revelations and, and, you know, scenes that take place in the story. And so it helps anchor and ground the whole thing so that you're not just seeing... I forget who said it at one point. Someone called it like the the postage stamp theater of just, you know, hundreds of characters smashing into each other and you're just like, why do I care? Right. Why do I care? It's the a Transformers great... movie effect. Sure. Like, <laughs> it's it's like a, a great pinup or whatever, but you're like, do I care about any of these people? And right. so we try and make sure that every issue, we've got an emotional sort of anchor to bring you through. So you're seeing the big epic stuff taking place. You're seeing the big moments and feeling them at the same time. Yeah. That's my pitch. I love it. I'm sold. Uh, you mentioned that you guys are about through it. Yeah. Um, and it sounds, I mean, you can't tell us. We, want, we, we don't want to know. We want to wait and yeah. see. It sounds yeah. like these characters are going through some pretty deep stuff. It's, it's it, a real end of an era. So uh, what it's supposed to represent. And I'm just sort of reiterating stuff that Tom has revealed because I can't. <laughs> yeah, we don't want to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but this is sort of the end of this era of the Avengers. So it's sort of close. You know, he called it sort of Avengers disassembled, you know, for the modern era that we're basically taking this current chapter of Avengers history and we're wrapping it all up, summing it up, kind of a big coda to a lot of the bigger thematic stuff that we've been thinking about. And so it's uh, it's really special. It's a milestone, and we're trying to make it as big and incredible and, and you know, justifying that weekly format, that you not just hearing about it, but you, every issue ends with something powerful, or you're like, I can't wait till next week. I just want to see what comes next and be on board for, you know, this, and the momentum that seven days creates, that you're not just like, oh, I have to wait a month or, you know, more to find out what's happening. But every seven days, you're just getting this adrenaline rush. Is it possible that it would help the heroes resolve this crisis if it was written in that they, were, they had a chance to speak to two preposterously talented podcast hosts? <laughs> we're actually not allowed to use the word crisis for anything. No, oh. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> crisis is under our verboten list. I'm right, <laughs> okay. We'll, we'll beat that. We'll beep it. Fair enough. Uh, I had to try. <laughs> it's all good. So another element of the this series is the introduction mm-hmm. of a maybe new character, uh, Voyager, who is, uh, as Tom Brinkley... New character? What are you talking about? <laughs> Voyager is a founding member of the Avengers. If you look at the Avengers founder statue, right. she's right there. I've... I can't believe that you don't remember her. That actually really <laughs> offends me. You, you have real geek cred, and that you know your comic books, and here you are saying that you don't recall... 
Valerie <laughs> Vector, the Voyager. Like, that makes me very sad. Uh, I mean, I forgot about her, I guess, just like the Sentry in Blue Marvel. I, I, I tend to forget about them sometimes. <laughs> See, this is what I'm talking about. you got to be up to date right. on your Marvel history. So, as seeing as how she's such an important member, right. but may have gotten obscured in time, we thought we would do our list of the top five obscure Avengers characters. They they had a, a decent run, but maybe they were like pet characters with certain writers, and once those writers Beloved left, underdogs? Yeah. Like, there, I'm sure there are more obscure characters than these, but characters we haven't heard from in a long time for one reason or another. Sure. So. So. Let's get going with number okay. five. Number five. Jocasta. Jocasta. So do you, do you want to give some background on who Jocasta is? Or? Sure. She's like, she's like girl. She's vision. the bride of Ultron. Yeah. She's, but literally and figuratively. See, that yeah. should have been Age of Ultron, Bride of Ultron. Right. You could just keep the <laughs> son yeah. of Ultron. Go, son of Ultron. That's right. <laughs> uh, yeah. So she's, she's a robot android who uh, is constantly, she's, she joins the team and is constantly accidentally re, uh, reincarnating Ultron and causing trouble. Just like Vision. She really does seem like a female Vision knockoff she, with she slightly has, different powers. Her memory Im- imprint, though, is Janet Van Dyne. So she was actually imprinted with some of, depending on what story you read, like the soul of Janet Van Dyne. She has a little sliver of her sort of memories and, and emotional content that, that informs her in the same kind of way that Vision has little bits and imprints of, you know, Simon Williams. Right, and just like, well, and, and that's why she's called Jocasta, because that's the name of Oedipus's mother, and so yeah, Ultron is the son a... of Hank Pym. It's a right. whole thing. It's, it gets creepier the more you look into it. But... <laughs> <laughs> she hasn't been around for quite a while. Well, I, it seems like she pops up every once in a while. Right. Like, she, she disappears, and then, or is killed, and then, because she's a robot, she's easier to resurrect than most. Like, we were talking in the last episode about Jean Grey getting resurrected right. a lot. Man, Jocasta puts her to shame. Oh, really? It seems like it. That's it. Well, well, I think it, Phoenix might have a better press agent, though. Well. <laughs> yeah. The Phoenix seems to get a little bit and, more uh, oomph out of it. And let's be fair, it's easier to, you know, uh, for a robot to come back to life. Yeah. Like, you know, flipping the off-on switch isn't as complicated. <laughs> Did you try to reboot? Did you just... <laughs> yeah. Did you hit reset? That's right. So, as we go through Is these... Is she plugged in? Like, have you checked pl- if yeah. she's plugged in? Yeah. yeah. She charged up. <laughs> as we go through these, I know there's a ton of characters in this, and I mean, you maybe just wink at us or tap your foot <laughs> under the table. Oh, you want me to tell you who's in the <laughs> I mean, no Surrender? So, I, uh, there is a list, I think, of characters they've officially revealed, and it's really annoying because I can't keep track of who's been revealed. <laughs> so, I'm sure I could stumble my way into idiocy here <laughs> and, and uh, break my NDA, and then all of a sudden, a little Avengers dart will fly through the window just hit me in the neck and I'll just crumple it'll actually be Hawkeye we'll we'll take that as a maybe oh on Jocasta yeah Yeah. I can tell you Jocasta's not in it okay (laughs) I feel she remains obscure I feel Ah. safe well I think Tom someone asked if if, uh, Voyager was uh, Kobik grown up and uh, they're like oh Jim Jim wrote Kobik you know in Thunderbolts and uh, Tom's like, I'll give you that one for free. It is not, it is not Kobik. <laughs> so just okay. to, for so we're on the same page. Kobik right. is the cosmic cube taken human form, right? Is that the? Do you just know what I bit? love? I love that we can talk about this stuff, and as soon as you try and codify it and right. you say it loud, you just we all sound like crazy people. <laughs> well, of course, she was the cosmic cube made manifest as a young yeah. child. So. 
Pro- almost certainly no Jocasta. Almost certainly. Oh, you don't believe me? What is it? <laughs> You're being real cagey. <laughs> never know. Wow. Oh, Jim just says flat out no, and they're like, about a 99% chance. <laughs> he could totally be lying. All right, well, let's move on yeah. to, to perhaps the greatest Avenger, D-Man. <laughs> D-Man. We've all heard of D-Man, right? <laughs> Dennis Dunphy. Yes. The Demolition Man. Who, he was part of uh, a, a uh, superhuman wrestling league when we first saw him. Or he's, to all the kids growing up, there were, why is Wolverine look like an idiot? That's what <laughs> Yeah, I wanted to ask, I read that it was, done in, it was done intentionally, that he has Daredevil's yellow outfit and Wolverine's mask, but why? Why was that done? Does anybody know? Is there an there in-story like, in reason? No, I have no is idea. There, no? They just it's, figured... it's also, to be clear, Daredevil's yellow costume, so right. it's like his... Less popular outfit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah slightly. D-Man's D- yeah. one of those... I mean, there's a bunch of these characters in the Marvel Universe that are kind of lovable losers that they don't ever kind of get their due, but they always keep plugging away. And I think that's why people like them. I think they like these characters that maybe maybe they're not the most popular. Maybe they're not the biggest hero. Maybe they don't you know, get to, to save the day, but that um, they're in the trenches plugging away and doing the best they yeah. can with what they've got. I know at one point, so so he was this wrestler guy, and he mm-hmm. he worked on Captain America's team for a while, and then at a certain point, he became like the superhero for homeless people in the sewers of New York. Yeah, and that would have been something that would make him distinct, like make him the homeless superhero. But they keep changing it, and sure, and, well, but that he, seems like a way to make him distinct and make him stand out. I think you know, every character, you know, people say, "Oh, this character is a loser," or "This character is useless," or whatever. I honestly, I know it sounds really, really cliche, but. Someone comes at a character from a new angle, and all of a sudden, you know, it can be the one that sparks something, right? right? Like, if you look at, you know, the Guardians of the Galaxy were really untethered for years and years and years. And then, you know, Abnett and Lanning come along, and they do their take on it, which eventually becomes the template for the movie. And now those characters are... I mean, world famous A-lister Marvel characters. Yeah, you know, it's we pretty, see that all the time. Yeah, it, Bucky. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, Bucky was never a loser, but he was gone. <laughs> he and was Bucky. I mean, you don't have to protect his feelings. Look, Bucky's <laughs> great. Okay, no, no, <laughs> but, but honestly, the uh, you know Ed Brubaker bringing uh, Bucky back and creating the Winter Soldier, you know, seems real blasphemous if you were a longtime Captain America fan, but does it in a way that's really, really rich and well done, and and broadens the character history. And all of a sudden becomes, you know, now kind of the canon uh, for the movies and everything else. Now, Demolition Man does not seem to have quite gotten that treatment. Sure. At least not yet. I feel like uh, I feel like the Dumb and Dumber quote is appropriate here where it's like, you're telling me there's a chance. There's right. a chance. Right. D-Man oh, the demons in become... no surrender? No, no. Oh, okay, okay. Well, I mean, that was going to be I mean, my that's, question. That's a good question, too. <laughs> but I'm saying he could become... You know, like, when the... we talk about underdog characters, no surrender sounds like a really good tagline for D-Man. <laughs> right? <laughs> but no, but honestly, uh, I think that, that what's crazy to me is that everything seems on the table when it comes to the Marvel Cinematic Universe or when it comes to Marvel in general. You can dig into the archives, take these characters out, polish them off, take a new spin, and bring them to light in a way that hasn't been done before. And I think that's what's really fun about... It's one of the things, honestly, I love about writing for Marvel is that I can go through my old official handbook of the Marvel Universe and kind of say, man, whatever happened to fill in the blank and find out and then say, yeah, let's propel this to the top. Let's yeah. let's bring this out from the, you know, the mothballs and see what, what we can do with it. And I think that's just one of the great things about having continuity in a connected universe. 
So he is a no surrender. He's the most important. <laughs> okay. <laughs> is is he Voyager? Yes. 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 Dennis Dunphy is it's the Voyager. Voyager. I think I can say that with absolute confidence. Geek Top Five exclusive. Okay. <laughs> D-Man fans everywhere are just like, yeah. oh my god. Yeah, both of them. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and they're here in this room. All right, so let's move on to. Star Fox, who I think... Yeah. Right, which, by the way, Star Fox is a fairly well-known character, but it's not, thi- not this character. <laughs> right? Oh, Star Fox. Sorry, Star I thought Fox you meant... Star yeah, Fox yeah. the Avenger. No, yeah. no, yeah. No, I read Star... I saw this list. I said, there was a Star Fox comic, and it was Marvel? <laughs> I was very disappointed. I don't think Star Fox ever had a solo comic. I don't think he's ever had a solo... Maybe even a one-shot or something, or a mini Yeah, but he's... So he's, this Star Fox... Yeah. Yeah, he's an Eternal. Yeah, which is a whole... Well, let's that's not even a whole... That, a whole. That's like the cosmic... You just well, opening yeah, up just a give, Pandora's make, box. Yeah. Make the connection that folks will make. He's Thanos' brother. Which, a lot of people, sure. A lot of people know Thanos now because yeah, yeah, of the yeah, movie, yeah, yeah. And this, right? So, Do you say Thanos or Thanos? I go with Thanos. Thanos? Just, but what occurred to me, I've always said Thanos, but if his if he's Eros, right. if this if so Star Fox's real name is Eros. Right. And so Thanos is obviously a take on Thanatos. Sure. So maybe Than the how do you say it? Thanos? Maybe yeah. Thanos is more accurate if it's supposed to be Thanatos. I don't know. I'm trying to know. help here. That's all right. fine, it's all good. Anyways, he's an eternal and he his his power sets kind of awkward so he can fly and he can he's super strong and super fast and you know can kick butt but his kind of signature thing is he can i don't know if he affects pheromones no he it, induces pleasure in people like you get the pleasure center of their brains go off i think yeah hence yeah. like the eros thing yeah yeah is that he's the and it's not just that he can make people fall in love with him he can right. make them fall in love with objects yeah. or other people yeah it's a little in in the, a very sensitive 2017 it's a little dicey yeah, it's weird goes. now, right? Like, I think it, when I remember he was on the Avengers in the '80s when I was reading it, and that power didn't come up constantly. Like, it came up, but it was like subtle and kind of jokey, playful. Like, if someone was really mad at him, he would just curb all the anger off of them, you know, right. or something like that. He wasn't generally like cruel with it. Every so often, I think a writer would grab it and do something kind of creepy and awful, but. Well, there was a like a sexual assault trial storyline, yeah, right? right? But it was like, in it was in Dan Slott's She-Hulk, which is a fairly light book. Yeah, yeah. So it, I mean, reading about it, it sounds like you're like this. I can't believe Marvel did this, yeah. but it was done tongue in cheek, I think. Right. In, in a right. little, but is that better? I don't know. This is the thing. A lot of these characters, when you bring them back around, or you know, a lot of stuff, particularly from the the sixties and seventies. You reread some of those comics and they feel really awkward and out of time. You know what I mean? Particularly, you look at the way that the Fantastic Four treats uh, Sue Storm, yeah. right? Eventually, Sue Richards. You know, yeah. the way that they, uh, the way that Jan Van Dyne gets treated as part of the oh, Avengers. Man. Like, she gets treated practically like a secretary in different spots in those early Avengers and, issues. I mean, in, in uh, Wonder Woman, she was a member of the, I think, the JSA, yeah. but she was their secretary. Literally. Like, herself. Wonder Woman. Yeah. Was the secretary, and she was like, oh, "That's great. I'll take notes. Take on this notes meeting. and type it up." Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's you know, it, I'm not saying therefore yeah. Star Fox is not creepy. <laughs> I'm just saying there's a pretty decent reason why he hasn't been in the spotlight in quite a while. Yeah, like he, he I, my memories of him from the Avengers comics was he was kind of a player. Like yeah. women were always falling yeah. all over him. Yeah. And in retrospect, it makes it all the creepier. Like sure. nowadays, he's like, "Oh, I never used my powers to accomplish that." But I don't know. So clearly he needs a polish. Yeah. He needs a spit polish. Got to 
refurbish his powers and do something Sounds like a job for Jim Zeb. No, I don't know about that. (laughs) I got bigger fish to fry right now. I got D-men to write. (laughs) So, is he going to be in No Surrender? Star Fox? Yeah. I think I can safely say Star Fox (laughs) does not show up in No Surrender. All right. Okay, that may not be entirely true. Like, because there's a bunch of Avengers history. Right. So, almost all these characters we're talking about could show up in a flashback or something like that. Okay. So he might be in some weird group shot in the back, but he certainly doesn't have a line of dialogue. So it's like somebody's standing in a room and there's like like photographs yeah. on the wall yeah. and maybe like your know, class of 86 right. or whatever. Yeah, class of 86, right. Yeah, so just, just to be 100% sure that these any of these characters could show up in weird flashbacks or memory stuff, I don't want you guys to like look through the comic and go, you lied, Zoe. You lied. <laughs> Guarantee that's guy. D-Man is in the background of this panel and whatever. Oh, sorry, Demon's the main character. What am I right. saying, right? Right, yeah. He's Victoria yeah. Vector. Right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, all, right. all right. Moving right along. Now, let's let's move on to uh, the most well-known mystic member of the Marvel Universe. Oh, you stop. Dr. Druid. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Druid or Dr. Droom or just Droom? Or just Druid. Or just Druid. Yeah. I, it's... I think it's important to have a, a variety of names to make yourself as iconic as possible. Well, that way you get more titles, yeah, that's right? right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. More copyrights. I, so he's currently a villain, but he's gone through heroic spades. Yeah, but he's he's only a villain. His soul is this trapped on Weird World, right? Yes. And that's where he's yes. a villain. Is that's it actually right. called Weird World? It is or actually is it... called yeah. Weird World. It's, All right. it's a pretty good comic. It's good. Yeah. yeah. So so he's a fascinating character. He's created... He's, he's For a character that was created by Stan Lee, Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko, uh-huh. the fact that it, barely anybody knows about him is is shocking. I mean, at least to me, even Groot, a Jack Kirby pre-Fantastic Four creation, right, right. is better known. But, you know, I think it's because his secret identity is Anthony Druid. I think that's what really <laughs> sells it for me, that he's... Uh... I mean, hey, good old Tony Druid down the street there. How you doing? I, also, his uh, costumes seem to be red pajamas and a purple cape, right? It's... I mean, but to be fair, like he's essentially not Doctor Strange. Like I, I, That's yeah. his entire character, right? Well, and the thing is, his magic in the Marvel Universe can always be a little bit, you know, undefined. But his powers seem particularly undefined. He has druidic magic, and he's got... Mind powers, but, yeah. but mind powers that seem to just fluctuate with whatever you need. Well, what are they? Mind stuff, right? And he, he gets in your mind. They, I think they retconned it so that I mean, he he already seems like a low rent Doctor Strange, and then they actually made it that he was the backup in case something for the ancient one. <laughs> he really is <laughs> low rent Doctor yeah. Strange. Can you imagine that's your you're in the yellow pages, you're looking for this guy, you're like Doctor Strange, you call, he's not there. You're like eh, the little listing just underneath there. All yeah. right, I guess we'll call. <laughs> You're like you talk to Doctor Stranger. Yeah. Like, how much are you quoting me? Yeah. I'm going down else? the road to yeah. Anthony Druid. You can uh, you can step off. So so the other interesting thing about him is is as far as as Marvel and superhero characters go, especially right. ones who have been members of the Avengers, and he he had a, a decent run with the team. A lot of these characters get resurrected. You know, Bucky was dead forever. He right. came back. Gwen Stacy was dead. She came back of. Some She's not a superhero. Of, what are you talking about? Sorry, sorry. I'm just kidding. Some version Spider Gwen. Sure. Yeah, but he has stayed pretty definitively dead. Like even though he's back now, it's just his soul trapped in another place. <laughs> but he's he's dead, right? Well, because the fans are clamoring for his return. <laughs> 
well, he did have a miniseries written by Warren Ellis in the 90s, I saw. I mean, that's that's got to... Wow, I did not know that. I'll just <laughs> say that flat out. <laughs> Warren, was, you're I, a good man. News just, to me. I, yeah, just wow. called Druid. Oh, see, I... Oh, uh, you were I'm, looking for... I was clearly looking for Dr. Druid to fill in my collection. <laughs> and then his, <laughs> his, his illegitimate son was a member of the Secret Warriors. This is true. Yeah, so yeah. he's, he's so, got... Uh, no, uh, yeah, I think, you know, here's the thing, and this is something that I think people get the wrong idea about when it comes to working on, um, whether it's Marvel or any other commercial property, there's a group of fans that think that writers have absolute control, and we can right. do whatever we want, we can play with these massive IPs, these intellectual properties, and make massive changes without any oversight, which is untrue, or the opposite, that they think that we have no control, and we're just like dialogue-filling people who are being told from on high, you know, big wagging fingers from editorial telling us we have to do this and we have to do that. And, of course, the reality is somewhere in the middle. Yes, the Marvel Universe has oversight and there's editorial groups and so on and so forth. And so there are times when we're talking about big events or we're talking about storylines and they say to us, hey, this would be really helpful if you can incorporate these ideas or this you know, gang is doing this over in this book and can you bring them into the fold? But you honestly have the ability to to throw down ideas and to bring stuff, like I said, out of the mothballs, you know, and bring it into light. So if there was a writer who said, I've got a really cool take on Dr. Druid or I feel like I can reinvigorate this character or twist him up or, or polish it up, you know, as long as there's nothing already in the works, more often than not, if you've got a compelling pitch, the editors want to see it happen. They want these characters to be vibrant. They want them to be used. They're not useful if they're not, you know, not out there in the books. Right. So. So what I'm hearing is you came up with a pretty good pitch for No Surrender. <laughs> for Dr. Druid. For Dr. Druid, right? <laughs> oh, my God. Actually, what I didn't tell you is. The D in D-Man. Oh, my God! Stands for Druid Man. They put them together. It's crazy, this team-up like you've never seen. It's incredible. All right, and last on the list is Living Lightning, or now just Lightning. Right. Is he part of No Surrender? Well, see, this is the best part. I've been setting up this joke for 31 minutes. (laughs) Right? So, Miguel Santos is uh, a character who has been an Avenger, and he's never gotten his due. He's this character called Living Lightning. Um, He's a Latino character. He's a gay character. He's an Avenger. And he's been on a handful of, of adventures with the, you know, with Earth's Mightiest Heroes. But... He's never really gotten his due. And so when we were sitting down and we said, look, we want to encompass a whole bunch of different ideas about being an Avenger. And one of the things we wanted to do was give a point of view from someone who is an Avenger, but maybe has not been at the front lines of a big story or has not been, you know, a key player in kind of a, you know, a a major um, event or something like that. And Al had the brilliant idea. I can't take any credit for this. Al had the brilliant idea to bring Living Lightning into the mix. And he said, look, he's got a really powerful you know, power set. He's a really great character. We can polish this character up, do something really cool with them, and, and prove to the readership why any of these heroes who have been Avengers are worthy of it, are, are capable. And so uh, Al had a really cool take. Mark and I threw in a bunch of really fun ideas, and Miguel is is really central. I can tell you flat out, he is one of the focal point characters, so we do get into his head 
uh, he does have some great payoff moments. Hmm. And uh, well, I'm really, really proud of it, honestly. Uh, even when Al first started talking about it, I got a little bit worried because you have such a huge cast and you, you want to play with all the toys, right? Right. So you're like, but if, you know, okay, so Lightning's got a spot here, but that means what about name a character, right? You know, whatever, Thor, Cap, you know, all these different characters. Where do they fit into this? How are they going to have a crucial moment? And all of a sudden you look and you go, look, this is what, because Lightning's in the mix, we can bring a whole other perspective. Because Lightning's in the mix, we can show a whole other aspect of heroism that we haven't been able to, you know, in this story up till this point. And that the potential of that really uh, excited me and it invigorated a ton of really cool ideas. And what's nice about being able to build such a big event like this and to build it in, in advance so much is we were deep, deep, deep into writing it and we could go back to the earliest chapters and foreshadow stuff even better, hmm. build in little hints and tricks and clues to some of the payoffs that happened later in the story as we were, you know, developing it. Doing my research on him, like he, he's he's a great character for this for a lot of reasons. He's he had some diversity to it by being a Latino character and and by being a gay character. Yeah, those are are aspects that there aren't a ton of characters like that in the Marvel universe and DC universe in superhero comics. Yeah, but in addition to those perspectives, he also. It's, it seems to have been a bit of a reluctant hero. Like right. He always seems to be going off to be at school more than more than being a superhero. Mm-hmm. So there's that perspective he adds to it, too. It should be an interesting uh, addition to the group. Yeah, and I think that's what makes it really great, is that you've got a character who is, by their nature, heroic, but they may not be the kind of person that would jump up and make a big speech. You know, they're not a leader type like like a Captain America or, you know, or Falcon or someone like that who is used to kind of gathering everyone together and saying, okay, here's what we need to do. They're not like a, an integral, charismatic kind of leader like Voyager or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> right? So all of a sudden you've got uh, Lightning here uh, in the mix and they, again, they bring that other perspective. They bring a perspective of someone who is I wouldn't say a reluctant hero. They know what it is to be heroic and they do the right thing, but they're not necessarily bombastic and loud about it. You know, that they he's not it. really into all the capes and all the TV cameras right. and all the exactly. And his power set is really real. I mean, he literally turns into electricity. He controls electricity. He becomes electricity. He can channel gargantuan amounts of it, and uh, that became a really fun thing. One of the things that's so great about having. Mark and Al and I, is when it comes to the writing fight scenes, you want to avoid just be like, okay, everyone punches or everyone uses their basic blast right. and knocks someone over. How can you do cool combinations? How can you use the environments? How can you use, you know, even the villain's own powers against them in really fun and unexpected ways? And that's been something that uh, is just utterly thrilling. And then having A-list artists like Pepe and Paco and, uh, you know, Kim drawing this stuff to just the the best looking artwork probably on any book I've ever worked on no offense to anyone that I work with but it's just like <laughs> just phenomenal phenomenal artwork and so the quality of of you know action and the quality of it's epic storytelling on a scale I have not interacted with before cool all right well then it it sounds like he doesn't really belong on our list of most obscure avengers at least he not won't for long be. Once you start reading Avengers <laughs> yeah. number 675, the first part of No Surrender. The series is coming out weekly. 
Every seven days, you're going to get an adrenaline rush. When do we get our first touch of that? January 10th. January 10th. And then once a week for 16 weeks? 16 16 weeks. weeks. I think the weirdest thing is literally going to be going to the comic store and having a book on the stands every week. That is going to be the strangest. It'll all be in the rearview mirror. By the time the first issue comes out, we'll be proofing the end of it. So it's just going to be watching people's reaction. And yeah, hold, then o- hold be- over us, why don't you? Right? <laughs> oh, but not only that, but but watching the reaction and not being able to change a thing. <laughs> whether or not they, hopefully they love it. It's the greatest thing ever. But whether or not they do, the train has left the station. We are underway because it's got to go to print so fast. You know, 16, right? So I have to imagine uh, that in a situation like this where I've had to stay quiet about, like if I were in your shoes and I had to stay quiet about this for so long, yeah. that when it does start coming out and people start asking me questions about it, I'd have to really i would constantly be checking myself to be like am i allowed to talk yeah. about this now what issue just came out yeah, what's yeah. going on <laughs> you know it's one of those weird things even now i'm getting tons of questions about the series who's in it is one of the most common so right. you know this is not surprising you guys are asking <laughs> right which character in it? my favorite character's got to be in it this kind of thing and i don't want to constantly turn into yes no yes no you know kind of answers but i also don't want to be like well, read and find out. Like, I'm trying to be giving, and I understand, hey, I'm thrilled that people are excited. I mean, that is one of the best compliments you can have. People want to see this thing. They want to read it. They want to know. And, but, but trying to hold as much as possible to our chest so that, so that the surprises can be surprising, so that the payoffs can be, you know, as intense as, as possible. All right. Well, Avengers No Surrender, starring Living Lightning and Druid Man. <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> With the side of Jocasta. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. That's what I've been dying for. Jim, thanks again. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, um, my absolute pleasure. We're effing dying to read it. <laughs> so, and you can't tell us anything. It's going to drive me crazy. Okay. Well, right. we're going to stop the recording, and I'm going to hit you with every question I have. <laughs> Maybe you can help me out. Maybe sure. Yeah, we'll have to see. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, thanks for joining us. Special thanks to our crew, to Stella Simeonova, our webmaster for putting this online. And a special note of special thanks here. A special thanks go to Jamie Reum for our cool new theme song. Uh, special thanks, and he put that together for us. Um, and he plays a pretty good show. You can check out more of his stuff at his YouTube channel at Jamie Reum Official. That Reum is spelled R-E-A-U-M-E. So on YouTube at Jamie Reum Official. Um, and he's also got a podcast going with another buddy of his where they're doing a bunch of stuff about music. It's called Originals and Covers and Beyond. They just launched their first podcast episode a couple of days ago. So you should go check that out as well. Um, okay, it's Geek Top 5. Uh, we, we'd be happy to hear from you, happy to hear your comments and any other questions you want us to forward to Jim that he can ignore. Uh, all <laughs> kinds of ways that you can get a hold of us. We can be reached at uh, geektop5 at gmail.com. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash geektop5, and we're on Twitter at geektop5. And you can always leave a review of this on iTunes, and uh, we would greatly appreciate it. Geek Top 5 is currently homeless. Uh, we'd love to have a cool place to record. If you live in the Toronto area and know of a way you might be able to help us out, please let us know. Uh, there could be rewards in it for you. Uh, love to hear from you if you can help us out, but otherwise we're still going to keep going. Uh, Geek Top 5, we'll talk to you again soon. <laughs>